This is my voice, my weapon of choice. Hello, everybody. You are listening to IVS Radio, a podcast series on the migrant women experience. Brought to you by IVS, the international women's space. IVS has been a space for refugee women to come together and self-organize. We discuss, share, and exchange our stories, experiences, challenges, and struggles. We empower each other and empower ourselves to learn about and fight for our rights. Make sure to visit our website, iwspace.de, and subscribe to our podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to IVS Radio. Today, we will be speaking about the refugees fleeing Ukraine. On February 24, 2022, the Russian army attacked Ukraine, forcing millions of people to flee their homes, seeking safety and protection within Ukraine itself or to neighboring countries. An important fact about refugees fleeing Ukraine is that 90% of all refugees are women and children because men between the ages of 18 and 60 are not allowed to leave the country. Faced with such an emergency, European political leaders quickly offered public and political support for the refugees. Several countries welcomed the refugees at their borders with teams of volunteers distributing food, water, clothing, and medicine. And many said that the refugees fleeing the war in Ukraine were allowed to enter their countries without passports or other valid travel documents. And Perhaps the main difference with refugees fleeing other conflicts, a number of European countries decided quickly and without much bureaucracy that Ukrainian refugees would receive temporary protection for up to three years without having to apply for asylum with rights to a residence permit and access to education, housing and the labor market. This is without doubt the right response. This is how the international community should operate in the face of conflict. However, in these first weeks after the conflict started, we began to realize that not all Ukrainian residents could access such freedom of movement or protection. Black and brown refugees who were having to flee the same bombs were met with a different kind of welcome at the borders and beyond them. The press was also divided. Part of it documented dehumanizing treatment against racialized permanent residents of Ukraine, as well as against international students from Africa, South Asia, and the Middle East in Ukraine. But part of the press reproduced the same racist remarks expressed by different state officials. Here are just some examples of what was being said. Reporting from the Ukrainian capital Kiev, Charles Diagata, a correspondent with CBS News in the US, declared, Ukraine isn't a place with all due respect, like Iraq or Afghanistan, that has seen conflict raging for decades. This is a relatively civilized and relatively European blah, blah, blah. A journalist from the British television company ITV, reporting from Poland, said, now the unthinkable has happened to them. And this is not a developing third world country. This is Europe. On the British BBC, a Ukrainian prosecutor said he was so concerned because he saw European refugees who had blue eyes and blonde hair and were being murdered on a daily basis. Shocked but not surprised, the international women's space joined 
Each one teach one initiative shorts doche BIPOC Ukraine and Friends, Migrations Rat, Flushrings Rat, and other groups to support BIPOC refugees arriving in Germany. And this podcast is part of our support because as we document this alarming situation where racism is again playing a role, we make sure that the stories of BIPOC refugees fleeing the war in Ukraine are told. To speak with us about the situation, we have here in the studio, we are born free, Nora Bretzka from the Flushings Berlin Refugee Council, the Flushingsrat, and Dalis Pacheco Salcedo, an international student who also organized in this struggle. Welcome, Dalis and Nora, and thank you for being here today. Thank yeah, thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. <laughs> I will start with Nora because uh, the Flushingsrat has been organizing for a very long period of time, and you kind of have an overview of the struggles of uh, refugees over a period of many years. And uh, since February, according to the German Federal Office for Migration and Refugees, around 900,000 people have arrived in the country fleeing the war in Ukraine. Of them, 2% are non-Ukrainian citizens. This is a very small number of people. Still, they don't get the same welcoming and benefits given to Ukrainian citizens. The question is, can you explain to us what kind of protection was initially offered to Ukrainian citizens and to third country nationals? Yeah, thank you very much um, for having us here. Um, first of all, we were as shocked as you were when we saw the different treatment of people who were fleeing the same war and the same bombs. So it was, as you said, um, not a surprise, but still a shock and also the very easy non-bureaucratic way how protection was offered to re Ukrainian refugees was on the one hand, of course, amazing. On the other hand, it showed that it was only the political will because we all together, we have asked this for long, a long period that people would be treated exactly like this, that they get access to labor market, that they don't have to go to lager, that they don't have to wait nine months until they can work, that they don't get like duldung uh, and all this um, stuff. So first of all, it was really overwhelming that it's so easy if the political will is there. And then the second shock was, of course, like you have mentioned it already, that there was such a big difference in treating the people. So while the Ukrainian citizens um, were offered immediately all the help they needed, all the support they needed, there were even reports from the social services who said, we are doing extra hours so, so that the poor people don't have to stay outside in a line to get their social money. This has just never, ever happened before. Um, with other pe people fleeing from other wars and even also people fleeing from the same bombs. Let's say Syrians, for example, have fled from the same bombs like the Euro Ukrainians. So there was a big difference. So we saw that uh, the paragraph 24, which is the temporary protection, which was decided in Europe, was offered to Ukrainians with a Ukrainian citizenship. But we immediately saw that, um, for example, Africans who have lived nearly all their life in Ukraine, when they wanted to apply for it, when they want just to get informed about it, they were taking the passports and were pushed in asylum procedures. So there we realized, okay, this will be a very big problem, like even bigger than we thought, because we thought that there would be some kind of solidarity for everybody fleeing from Ukraine. But then we saw that the people of the non-Ukrainian citizens were divided into if they have family members who are Ukrainians, and if there are people who have lived in Ukraine without any family members, for example. So immediately it started to divide the groups of the non-Ukrainians into different groups, letting them 
um, staying in a very precarious situation, blocking them from time to time from social money, blocking them from offering a house, blocking them from getting the 24 paragraph 24 protection. So that was really concerning and it is concerning up to today. This paragraph 24 is the first time it has been used in Germany. It was, it's a 21 year old uh, paragraph that is a European concept. And it's the first time that it applies in Europe. Can you explain to us what exactly this paragraph means and how it was quickly applied? Because the other people who are, who are challenging some of this, like in Uplatz, we were asking for the paragraph 23. But now there was a very quick paragraph 24. Could you kind of summarize this whole paragraph and see what exactly it provides? Actually, it's very easy. It's the best solution <laughs> because um, you don't have to go through a long asylum procedure and you don't have to go through individual interviews and you don't have to convince anybody that you really need protection. You just state that you come from a zone where there is war and you get immediately the protection. You get access to labor market, you get access to social money and you get access to housing. So it means you don't have to stay in a lager, which makes a big difference for the people, especially the housing situation. So and this was possible because all the European countries were able to sit together and to decide that they want this. And this has never happened before. And um, it was, of course, due to the political situation that there Europe could get out of the criticism what it has faced for a long time now because of the external borders, because of the Mediterranean Sea. Suddenly, Europe can play the hero again and say, hey, we take uh, everybody in who is fleeing from war, could like make up again the humanitarian phase, um, show that Russia is the evil and Europe is the good. So there was a lot of political play behind it. But it was very clear that they are talking about the white Ukrainians. It was clear from the beginning and that the anti-black racism was like from the beginning part of it. Because as you said, it's a small number. You could just include everybody in the paragraph 24. You don't have to divide who is married to who, who can have the access to the 24. Uh, although the person has lived like the Ukrainians and had all their life in Ukraine. So the paragraph 24 is very practical and it's also very little bureaucratic. So it's also good for the institutions and it's very good for the people. Yeah, because they don't have to go through all these torturing procedures, what asylum seekers have to go through. Interesting, because this shows that people are already categorized just from the entry point. And uh, the Berlin mayor, Francisca Giffey, the other day the willingness of Ukrainians refugees to work, the white Ukrainian refugees to work. Is she saying that other refugees first asked for social benefits instead of asking for work permits? Which is definitely absurd because one of the main demands we had in the Oranian Platz movement was to have a work permit. Yeah, in fact, this is not new. But it's like uh, we had also the same discussions and there's a, not only racism behind it, there's also a lot of classism behind it. We had the same discussions with the Syrians, first class refugees, Afghani second class refugees. Now there are these white blue eyed Ukrainians, then of course, like it comes out even more. I think it's also this dividing in evil and good and also to show the people because we have seen a lot of times that 2015 was um, somehow a turning point for German politics because later it was always said it should never happen again like 2015 as if something bad has happened 2015 when the border was opened. So I think they wanted to say immediately look but this time it's different because they are us. 
So they wanted to, to show that the people are like us. And they have tried it also with the Syrians that time that they say they are so educated, a lot of them are students. But this time it worked even better. And we saw really much that the sentence Gif I said, it was like all over the place, also in the supportive structures, who suddenly have free houses, free rooms, suddenly are willing to take people. We have been always searching for rooms for people. And now we realize how many free rooms are there in Berlin, like now after the Ukrainian war, which were never free for Afghani, Syrians, West Africans, East Africans. Nobody offered these rooms, although they were there. So we saw this somehow, they are like us. We saw it in a lot of different structures. And I think to, to point it out, um, we, we saw this also from other people, also from really political decision makers who said, at least these people, we don't have to explain how a washing machine works. It's full of stereotypes. It's full of deep, deep racism. What has always been there, but it really has come to the, to the big, big now with the Ukrainian wars, that it's really visible and really open and cannot be hidden anymore. This brings us back to the topic of racism, because this is how racial profiling started from the borders. And this is how racism, at least it's now more visible because something we've been talking about for very many years, but they really made the racism possible because there was racial profiling even in the trains. The biggest joke we saw is even on the immigration website, they had provisions of the languages that were needed for the Ukrainian people to access the necessary support they had. We saw also in the train station, welcome, welcome Ukrainian refugees. And this brings us to the question of racism within the German institutions and structures. Is it something probably you would mention as you talk about what has been decided and what is now being offered to third country national refugees? Yeah, we had, um, of course, there's the European regulation, um, which is a regulation, but it also says, of course, the member states of the European Union can do more than that. This is just the minimum. Like Germany is pretending as if this is the law and they have to implement it, but they could do much more than the regulation. The regulation is just the minimum. In the regulation, we see everybody who comes from Ukraine who has called meaningful links to Ukraine can get a permit of paragraph 24. Germany has translated into only people with a permanent residence or with family members who are real Ukrainians can get the 24 and people from Afghanistan, Eritrea, and um, Syria, because these are the three countries Germany, from the German perspective, is considering not to be safe, because Germany is deciding which country is safe and which country is not safe. All from a wide German perspective, they decide this. So we have this group who can apply for the 20, or who, who will get probably the 24, and ha they have already got it, also the people through that regulation. We have the second case of people who are, cannot turn back to their so-called home countries permanently and safely. Here we have a big problem. Who decides what is permanently? Who, decide, who decides what is safely? Here they will, also, um, yeah, they will also work together with the Bundesamt für Migration und Flüchtlinge, with the BAMF. And we know how the BAMF is treating people, for example, from West Africa, from North Africa, because they claim these countries to be safe, although they are not safe for everybody. And this is a really big thing, because instead of seeing the meaningful links of the people they have in Ukraine, it's more like they have to prove that they cannot go back to their so-called home countries. And this is a very big difference to the 
of course, to the Ukrainians because they don't have to prove anything. If they come from a quiet place in Ukraine or not, they come from Ukraine, this is enough, they get the 24. And people who come from other countries, they have to prove that they really cannot go back permanently and safely. Then we have the third group, which is offered to the non-Ukrainian citizens um, who studied. And here they can get a permit to study, but they have to show that they can work to maintain themselves, to not get social money. Then they will get another article, not the 24, another article, the, the 16F, for the studying. And then we have the fourth group, which says this is the so-called Berlin regulation, which says, okay, all students, and this is very important, they're only talking about students, not ab about the other third national country um, who didn't study, they can have the possibility to have six-month Fiktionsbescheinigung, like a fiction of the Article 24. Um, and in this time, they should show that they can find a work and that they can um, enroll in a university. And this is also uh, ridiculous because everybody can apply for the 24. They don't need the permission of Berlin to apply for the 24. Everybody is allowed to apply for the 24 and to get the Fiktionsbescheinigung. This is a normal bureaucratic um, strategy. Um, and offering this six months, I think it's um, really not enough because you cannot reach the level of C1 in German, what you need for studying. You cannot enroll. And if you see six months from now, the universities will not even have given an answer to an enrollment or to an application to a university. So I think this is really a farce. Like at least you could have uh, given more month time, but we don't want all this separation. We want paragraph 24 for everybody who has fled the same war, finish. And that was possible in Germany. That is also possible in Berlin. But there's a big, big fight of all the levels of institutions not to give the 24 to mostly, we have to name it, Africans. Dallis, before I come to questions about you, I'm seeing you nodding your head about this uh, six months uh, fiction Shainigung about the language. Is there something you can say to that before we play some questions we have from the students that... Yeah, yeah. First of all, thank you for inviting me and being here. I think it's very important to kind of share all these things because sometimes we're so involved in the things that people outside don't get to know what are we dealing with, also with different perspectives. So yeah, like many things that were shared previously, it reminds me a lot of answers that I got from institutions here while asking for some rights or like change of perspective or just realizing it shouldn't be like this. Yeah, I think it's also something that I don't know if it's like an education thing, but everyone who works in institution kind of gives the same answers <laughs> like, and they play always with the same arguments. And uh, that's really like, yeah, very uh, frustrating to see that everywhere you knock the door, like you get the same treatment or the same description, like the same answers on. So like, I mean, I cannot speak about from a refugee perspective because I'm not, but I'm a migrant student and I also needed to gather all these requirements and it was a long process. So I cannot even imagine how it would be for somebody who is coming from a traumatic experience for fleeing a place they are not even their hometowns. Like there is a reason why they were in Ukraine in the first place. 
So for me, it's more like imagine like everything that I struggle here to like build something here, also traumatized by all these things. And then from one day or another, I lose everything. I need to build again all of this. And it's like, okay, maybe they are going to understand because we are all coming from a very violent experience. But no, they remind you that you are not... Uh, you don't deserve the same like humanity in a way and that's very shocking yeah like how can you achieve c1 in six months people just go out with their backpacks they didn't knew that all of this is gonna happen they didn't brought all the documents the universities in ukraine don't want to let these documents go so you come without documents, without money, without any perspective, and the requirements are like bank account with more than 10,000 euros and then like German C1 and then all the requirements. For example, I'm in an art school, so you need to provide a portfolio. Like how can you build a portfolio coming from war? Also, they have a specific dates of application and systems like you will never get in this, not because you cannot. It's just because it's designed to leave you out. And uh, yeah, it's just like very frustrating to see like that on this on the other side, on the outside, on the superficial side, they want to show themselves that they are inclusive. They are like. Um, like progressive and modern and they're like questioning and they are really critical and so on while they kind of build these like rules of a game where you never be able to achieve everything that they are telling you so that's that's very frustrating and like <laughs> I think yeah so the theory and the practical is like two different things this is uh, the impression that you have we have two questions that we managed to get from some women who are fleeing the war in Ukraine. And we will start with uh, one by Vivian. Hi, everyone. My name is Vivian. I'm a single mom. I also fled the war of Ukraine with my son. Uh, but for them, I was a student in the Ukrainian-American Concordia University studying the cause uh, international economics relation. Um, but the thing right now is um, I don't know my fate because my son was born in Ukraine. And I believe that as a Ukrainian citizen by bad, he should also have a stay here in Berlin. Right now, he doesn't have. And I also don't have, uh, I have a stay to six months, yes, but... Uh, we are fighting for the future of myself and that of my son. So I don't even know my fate now, whether as a student or as a single mother uh, to, or to uh, a son who doesn't have a stay here in Berlin. So we don't even know our fate here. So I believe the government should do something uh, also regarding this case. Thank you very much. Um, I am a student from Ukraine. Uh, I was studying aerospace engineering in Kharkiv. I flee the war in the end of February in 28th. That's when I left Kharkiv to Lviv. We flee the war. I came here to Germany seeking for refuge. And also I had that some public schools were accepting students from Ukraine yeah, they were supporting them so that they can continue with their studies. And I applied for some school only for them to tell me that I can't 
finish my registration due to the language barrier. Um, the application process was a three-month application process where it started in the May and it ended in the July. So, and the, like the, the requirement was the A2. And A2, A2 level, you cannot learn the A2 level within three months. The A2 level takes six months, yeah. And that was the barrier, so I could not apply for such schools. And the aerospace engineering course is in is taught in English, and I was denied in those universities due to the language. I did not have the language requirements. Um, on the other aspects, the university that I attended in the Kharkiv denied to give me my transcripts. Like they they told me that for me to get my transcript transcripts, I have to be expelled from the school. And okay, yes, I get to be expelled. I get my transcripts. I don't have a school. It's, I don't have a school to apply using those transcripts. It's useless. So and the the Kharkiv University is still demanding me to still pay the school fees and the why is still ongoing. So like the situation is very bad for students. Like we need support in Germany. Some of the courses taught in Germany are taught in English and are taught in public schools. And still yet the public schools deny us, deny to accept the non-Ukrainians. Like once you call, they, they just say that as long as you are a non-Ukrainian, we can't accept you. The offer is for Ukrainian students. Yeah, so like that's the barrier that we face as students. We face a lot, we face a lot, a lot of challenges. Yeah. Yeah, we have listened to just two questions about uh, different people. We have also been in contact. The, the, the first voice was from a single mother who entered Ukraine as a student. So she doesn't know if her fate now is as a student or a single mother. These are two intersections that uh, is not being addressed in terms of the the main focus of Ukrainian students. Then there is a challenge from the second person who says even though the course she was doing aerospace was being taught in English, she was excluded because of the A2 certificate that she feels was not necessary to ask. We have also been in contact with people who have applied for asylum in, their, in, in Ukraine, they're in the asylum system. Their cases have not been decided, so they are somewhere in a limbo. We have come into contact with stateless people. These are Palestinians whose fate is not even known what is supposed to happen. They have no documents. The one we got into contact with was only having a very scanty document from Lebanon to travel with. So she's basically stateless. And we have also undocumented people who in this context, they are not being spoken about. Yeah, I wanted, like, we should not forget that the whole migration policy when it comes to non-Europeans and also the whole asylum policy of Europe and um, Germany is based on neocolonialism, um, racism and um, discouragement of people to come. 
Yeah, and this we see like this is the base of the politics because there is no economical, for example, economical reason to put people in lager and not let them work. Yeah, there is no reason for it, but you want to disencourage the people to come. And here we see it also very clearly. Like there is no political will to give them all the chance to um, just arrive to have a temporary protection. In the cases of the two um, voicemails, what we heard, we have so many different levels also because once the higher institutions have implemented that there is a difference between Ukrainians and non-Ukrainians, although they are fleeing from the same war, it will mirror on all the different levels in the whole society. And so we have it even people who want to employ non-Ukrainian citizens that they are afraid of being charged or something if they employ them because there is no clear solution for that. Like a person who wants to employ somebody cannot decide if this person can turn in the so-called home country safely and permanently. But that is what it was written in the PDF paper what the people had with them like you are allowed to work you are allowed to stay if you cannot turn back permanently and safely who like the people who want to employ they cannot examine this or whatever so in the in the second that the people were treated differently it has mirrored on all the different levels of society all the structures the volunteer structures the supportive structures and all the institutions so by dividing the group of non-ukrainians um, you have even shown more that they're not the same like the Ukrainians, but also in their group, they're not the same. If you are, you're more worthy when you have a Ukrainian wife, you're more worthy if you have like money. And we see a lot of this classism also here. So um, in the one case, just one sentence for the Ukrainian child who was born in Ukraine. We have cases, a lot of cases like this. Of course, this mother, she could get the 24 through the child if we stay in the whole procedure, what they have created with the 24. But the Ukrainian embassy doesn't feel responsible. They just tell the people, go back to Ukraine and get the birth certificate. How can people without a paper turn back to Ukraine to get a birth certificate? Then they are not let in again. Like, it's all a game. It's a really racist game on the back of the people. Thank you. Dalis, can you explain how you started to organize as an international student in response to the racist treatment accorded to the Ukrainian refugees that were fleeing? When I myself came to Germany, like I started to realize that there were other migrant students also in the university, but they came from other backgrounds. And I started to connect with other students university. Actually, our engagement comes way back from many years ago, but also because if you have a space where nobody really struggles, then there is not going to be an organization. And what I felt in my universities was, Everyone was focused on their own thing. Like everyone was focused on their own like careers and their own like uh, achievements as a person, but nobody was having spaces to, to talk about it. It was more like, oh, you need to get better. You need to be good at this and you need to overcome that. Then I started to have also problems with my visa and so on because of the lack of the universities, actually. They put me in difficult positions in many situations and um, I couldn't understand, like, I pay taxes here, I, I'm, like, I work here, I do good in the university, why you don't want to allow me to stay here? Like, this is my house, like, I don't have a house anywhere else, I'm, I'm, my young Meldon is here and they didn't allow me to come back. And it was a very difficult moment for me. And I saw how the university totally washed their hands about this case. And um, I managed in a way, and that, that problem really like followed me until until now. And 
totally unnecessary. And then I started to realize how slowly how these things were happening. And also from the university side, there was also things going inside of, of it. Everyone thinks that people are political there and so on, but like there is a lack of engagement of systemic change because at the end everyone fights for themselves and uh, we're starting to connect with other students and like realizing oh what i'm experiencing is related to what your experience and this is something that is not our own fault like it was really relieving to learn through this group that the things that we were carrying on our like shoulders, it was not about us. It was something bigger than us that has 500 years of like, or like that there is many things that even we knew this when we were growing up, like where we were. It's just like everything connects. So... I work in, in a student group in the university and I also through that group I entered the parliament of the university because it was like a democracy crisis. Nobody wanted to apply and just a group of people that understood the system were taking over and it was kind of like worrying because it was very like kind of right wing wide. It was kind of like not inclusive, not open open up, focusing on like very like capitalistic way of thinking education and individualistic and they were against all these initiatives for like minorities and so on because like if there is no money we need to distribute into everything why they're like giving this to these people like they really didn't understand the intersectionality of it i entered there and and starting to learn how this whole system work um, it, it just happened that I connect with other groups, also very active in the Latin American community of like different ways of like political activities in a way to connect all those things because it came to a point also after COVID that it was such a crisis also where I come from that we couldn't even pretend to be just students anymore. Like we needed to react to certain things. So. I got really connected with many groups and was very active. So when the when the work came, we knew people were coming to Berlin. Then a lot of people in the university started to organize. And I, that's when like I was kind of surprised that there was demos for Ukraine and all the things. And then I saw like so many people that never in their life positioned themselves like using social media and talking about these things. And it's like, that's nice, but last week there was a demo for palestine and there was nobody there like where were like for afghanistan people that are like making this like uh protests every week i guess in the ausland i've heard that like but what about kurdistan and all these things and i was like i was kind of like worried about that then i find out that there was many organizations supporting bipoc people and i had some friends also there so it was like okay there is a different treatment that at this moment the government is giving and also all these welcome situations in the Hauptbahnhof are excluding people, but there is the community supporting all these other people. And it was basically just the community finding housing, finding food, and like every day, like, do you have, these people needs this and that. And it was like, I'm glad you're going to do that, but we have a limit on that. People were burned out and we realized this is the labor that needs to be state why are we covering this? We're also marginalized sometimes. We're also like oppressed people. We have little resources. We're making this work, but this is something that should be taken care of in a bigger level. There were many students who were organizing these things and 
there is a lot of people behind that and they starting to connect with other universities through the ASTA conference from Berlin, Germany wide, raising up these questions a bit from other connections and suddenly we were a group of people from the University of the Arts Berlin, from the Freie University, from the um, Ali Salomon, the FU, the HAU, from many universities. And we find out, oh, you already, you're also like challenging your school through this question of anti-discrimination. So it was nice to know the people who are working in different fields and we come together. And then there was like this group that were meeting in the garden at Moritzplatz. And we find out that many of them were students. So at least from our side, knowing that there was always going on things, it was never the perspective of, oh, let's try to save them in a way, because we also don't have even residence permits here, but mostly because like doing this work give me the freedom to understand where I stand and what should I carry on my shoulders. At what point did you connect it to the previous struggles? That is the Oplatz mm -hmm. movement, the legalization campaign, the respect, the the people who came here in the 2015 as Syrians and non-Syrians mm -hmm. in this in this influx. I, I'm, I'm very like respectful of history and all these things. So I thought, of course, there is somebody before us. And also in the struggle of anti-discrimination in the university itself, there was people before. There was people before us. And there's always when there is a new people doing something. Now there is a protest in the university. But yeah, there was a protest in the 90s too. There was a protest to achieve all the rights that we have here. So if we don't know them and if they are here and if they're active, why don't we all come together because the thing that is most important is not this group was right this group won it's like we're talking about liberation and if one liberates themselves we all liberate each other so like why don't join forces because our like alone, we're not going to make it. And if we want to be louder, then it's not only students, it's everyone. Like we come from a student perspective because this is what we know and this is what we can provide. We cannot like save the world, we cannot save everyone. But we know that at least we have some access that it took some time to learn and we can share that. And that's when I think like the Oranian Platz movement, the, the different generation of the Oplatz movement, like back in the 90s, in the 2012, in the 2015, and also the struggle of undocumented people, they know how to deal with all these things. They already know, and they I knew them from my community. So it's like, it felt unrespectful to talk about a topic without including them. Like, if we're talking about this, we need to sit all together. Thank you. Thank you for the <laughs> summarizing of where the histories of the struggles of migrants starts from. You can make a closing comment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is a struggle that is for life. And it's like a compromise that you, not only as an activist or as a student, but as, like as a person, we are part of this society and we need to like be active on it and we're fighting for it. But just the fact that we are together and we're supporting each other, we are learning from each other and understanding our stories. And it's very powerful to understand how these systems make us feel in certain ways and how suddenly there is divisions between good and bad migrants and like because I realized that I have the same rights in this university as anyone else. I'm not a visitor. I'm a full student like you all. I also have the right to change this place. And I make Berlin my territory as well. 
Thank you. Nora. Yeah, I think it was uh, all said already, but um, yeah, I, I also think like we should not, when we go into the paragraphs and stuff, we should not forget that we should combine the struggles and um, of the self-organized struggles and the supporters should support the struggles, like how possible it is and how it is asked also by the struggling people. And we should not forget that it's all about freedom of movement and to be born free, no? So also when we enter in the in the paragraph discussions and we demand this or that, we should always have this aim in mind that we want freedom of movement for everybody and that should be the combining um, element for all the struggles. Thank you very much. To finish our podcast, our observation as women working since 10 years that the solidarity with the Ukrainian refugees will not last that long. Suddenly, not all of them, despite their whiteness, will fit into the society. For example, the Islamic, the Jews, the Muslims, and the Roma Ukrainian communities will definitely be left out. In a different context, the Syrians were very welcome, but now no one speaks about them anymore. And this fragmentation is what Dalis is trying to put into a bigger perspective, that there are so many struggles in between, and that we should join, combine all these struggles to bring uh, freedom and liberation for everybody. Thank you very much for taking part in this podcast. This podcast is recorded at the We Are Born Free Empowerment Radio, and it will be broadcasted at the frequency 88.4 in Berlin and 90.7 in Potsdam. Thank you for being part of this educative topic on the Ukrainian refugees. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This is my voice, my weapon of choice. Hello, everybody. You are listening to IVS Radio, a podcast series on the migrant women experience. Brought to you by IVS, the international women's space. IVS has been a space for refugee women to come together and self-organize. We discuss, share, and exchange our stories, experiences, challenges, and struggles. We empower each other and empower ourselves to learn about and fight for our rights. Make sure to visit our website, iwspace.de, and subscribe to our podcasts.